looking forward to going to heaven one day. Say amen this morning. Let's turn to page 692. Page number 692. Let's all stand together. We'll sing all four verses this morning. When we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. Sing it out. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we victory let us then be true and faithful trusting serving every day just one glimpse of giving glory will not toil like we pay when we all get to heaven what a day this morning, you're going to see him. Amen. Amen. Great start this morning. Son, I'm telling you, that was good this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that and getting to see my Savior. What a blessing. Sure glad you're here uh, this morning. want to welcome you to our uh, morning services and, and so thankful to be uh, back in God's house. Had a great uh, little getaway there to Branson and sure thankful for the church family uh, having a part in that and, and uh, being able to send us down there. And, but glad to be back home. Amen. And so just wanted to mention a couple of things uh, by way of announcements. Don't forget about tonight after the evening service. We'll be having the uh, linger longer and so bring some finger foods and things like that and we'll have some fellowship then, of course, the ladies' meeting Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And then men wanted to mention this. If you're interested in going into the uh, Baptist men's recharge at the end of September, today is the last day to sign up for that. So, again, any of our men or young men, any of our teen boys would like to go, you need to make sure uh, that you sign up uh, for that. And then, man, I got to thinking about in about two more weeks, we're going to start fasting and praying for the fall revival in October and excited about that. Mercy. But right now, let's enjoy a little bit of summer that's left. Amen. 
And uh, but sure, thankful, thankful that you're here uh, this morning. Let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Ask God's blessing on our services uh, today. Brother Jack Parker, would you open us in prayer this morning? remain standing and turn to page 363. If you're saved, you're on your way to heaven. If you don't know if you're saved this morning, Jesus still saves today. Amen. Let's sing it out. Page 363. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Bear the Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward is our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Wafted on the rolling tide. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Tell to sinners far and wide. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing ye saves. Sing above the battle strife. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. By his death and endless life. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Sing it softly through the gloom. When the heart for mercy craves, sing in triumph o'er the tomb. Jesus saves, saves. Give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. Highest hills and deepest caves. This our song of victory. Jesus saves. Saves. You can have victory in Jesus this morning, amen. Let's turn to page 328. Page number 328 at Calvary. Again, sing all verses this morning. Sing it out on that first. The years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified.
everybody shake hands together this morning. Good to see each one of you here. So thankful for those that are visiting with us this morning as well. to read to you from Genesis 14 and verse 18 tells us and Melchizedek king of Salem brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the most high God and he blessed him and said blessed be Abram of the most high God possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be the most high God which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand and he that being Abraham gave him Melchizedek tithes of all Amen. brother Will Kennedy would you pray for the offering this morning Amen. You may be seated.
Let's turn to page number 301. Page number 301. Stand one last time with me this morning. If you're redeemed this morning, say amen. You're on your way to heaven. Amen. Page number 301. Let's sing all four verses. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. His child and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. No language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of His presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. I know I shall see in His beauty the King in whose law I delight. Who lovingly guards every footstep And giveth me songs in the night Redeemed, redeemed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb Redeemed, redeemed His child and forever I am Amen. Great singing. You may be seated this morning. Oh 
I know that my path is the way of the cross. So I count what I gain and forget what I've lost. In pain there is joy, in death there is life. Dear God, hear my cry. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I keep Him before me. I lift up my eyes. I drink in His glory. I press toward the goal. His goodness unfolds. March on, O oh my soul, I want to know, yes, I want to know Christ. And the things that entangle me, I lay them down, all the treasures trophies of life. Let them be lost only, let me be found in Christ. I want to know Christ. I keep Him before me. I lift up my eyes. I drink in his glory. I press toward the goal. His goodness unfolds. March on, O oh my soul. I want to to God, that'd be every person in here, that'd be our heart's desire, amen, to know Him, uh, mercy, and to know Him in a greater way and growing in Him. What a blessing this morning. Well, sure glad you're here and uh, looking forward to getting back into our study of the book of Romans uh, this morning. So I want to invite you to stand in honor of God's Word, if you're able to stand this morning, and turn with me <clears throat> to Romans in, in chapter uh, number two this morning, Romans in chapter number two. Now, uh, if you were here uh, last week, um, and I realize not everybody was, but certainly if you were here, then you saw uh, what I would call the depravity of, of man. And if you know anything about Romans chapter one, then you certainly know that <clears throat> that it ends in a, uh, you know, showing all of that, how man snowballs, if you will, in his wickedness, and that's the result of him suppressing the truth of God 
and then rejecting uh, the Word of God and rejecting his need to be saved. And, and so what happens is he continues to snowball in his wickedness and in his sinfulness. And, and I want to say this, man is still following that pattern today. He's still following that pattern today. If you don't believe me, just look at our country and the things that, that we are going through. I'm just telling you, we're watching a real life, a real life example of what Romans chapter 1 showed us. But we also saw another pattern, if you will. And what I mean by that is that as man snowballs into his wickedness, God also has a habit of stepping in and bringing about his judgment in his wrath. We saw that. Uh, we, you can go back and study. We saw that uh, with the flood uh, during the days of Noah, where man did uh, everything uh, wicked and corrupt, everything in the imagination of his heart was continually evil before God. We saw the fire come down upon the cities of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. So man has a pattern, and God also has a pattern. We saw those things. So speaking of the judgment of God, I know it's your favorite subject. Well, really, that's kind of the idea here that we, as we get into chapter 2, I would say this, that the judgment of God continues to be the focal point here. So let's look at, uh, not judges or judgment, but Romans chapter 2 and verse number 1, and hopefully I'll get my tongue untied here and we'll see some things. Verse number 1, the Bible says this, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest, doest the same things. But we are sure, now watch this, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which doest such things, talking about what he dealt with in chapter 1, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up thy, unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Now watch this. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing, seeking after glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's your reward if you're saved. But unto them, verse number 8, that are contentious, and I'm sure no Baptist in here would be that, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness and indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul that doeth evil. Now watch this. Look at what he says. Of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. In verse number 11, here's the conclusion. For there is no respecter of persons with God. 
It's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. See, I want, I want, you, to, I want, you, to, want you to catch this this morning. See, I, I, I want you to grab a hold of this. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul dives right into this subject of the judgment of God. And it becomes the focus. Now watch this. Because whereas the Gentiles and their depravity was dealt with in chapter number 1. See, watch this. The Jews and their self-righteousness is going to be dealt with in chapter number 2. And here's why. Because the typical response from the religious crowd at the end of chapter 1 is to exalt themselves in their self-righteousness. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to remind them, now watch this, that whether it's a Jew or a Gentile, or a pagan or a Pharisee, or the religious or the atheist, all have sinned. BB Facts is going to conclude in chapter 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, all are going to be judged of God and all need to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, what I'm saying to you is this, is that it's the judgment of God that puts every one of us on common ground this morning. Every one of us. Doesn't matter who you are. Saul deals with everybody. So here's what I titled the message this morning. The judgment of God. Pretty simple. But if I were to subtitle a message, and I don't always do that, but I am this morning, here's what I'd call it. Confronting the self-righteousness of the religious crowd. Because you need to catch this this morning. If you've been saved, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something that you exalt yourself in. Well, I'm just better than everybody else out there. No, 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 no. Because had it not been for the grace of God, there go I. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're saved, that just simply means this, that you got the responsibility as a wicked sinner to go tell another wicked sinner how they can escape the judgment of God. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, some of you are like, man, I need to go ahead. I shouldn't have came here. It's wrong. No, I believe it'll be a help to us this morning. Because really I think this, that we've got to have a right spirit and a right heart. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're religious, you might be religious and not saved. You need to be saved. Because you too are going to stand before the judgment of God. Father, help us this morning as we look to your word. And Lord God, again, I, I need your clarity, your guidance, the spirit of God just filling me and leading me. So speak to me, Lord, guide me, speak through me this morning in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Sure appreciate you standing and honor God's word. <clears throat> Some of you probably know this from past stories that I've told by way of illustration, but we do have a rule in our house that our kids are not allowed to eat candy unless they come and ask us. Probably a good rule. Because if you know kids and if you know adults and candy, probably a good rule. Some of you <laughs> just go ahead and have imitation right now. I can remember when two of our, our two middle children, Luke and, and Taylor, they were small and 
this became an issue. Uh, Luke was very small at the time. I can't even remember how old, maybe four, five, six years old, something like that. And he was a little mischievous every now and then. Now he's a lot mischievous. Uh, and he does get that from his mother. But Taylor, Taylor is what I would call, this, was, this is what I call Taylor. Taylor is the family reporter. In other words, when she was small, she would come in and she would always make sure to give us a, a news update on anything that Madison and Luke were doing. And so sure enough, Luke had, he had eaten some candy in his room and, and he um, didn't ask permission. And so here comes uh, the reporter, Miss Taylor, out. I mean, listen, she's, she's holding the trash can in her hand as evidence the investigative journalist. And, uh, you know, she's got, you know, the candy wrap. Listen, the boy didn't even try to hide it. The candy wrappers are right there on the top. Son, you cannot do that when you have sisters. And, and so, you, you know, here's what happened upon being confronted with the evidence. Luke admitted it and, of course, you know, got into trouble. I talked with him about the Bible verse, be sure your sins will find you out. Again, especially if you have sisters in the house. And, and so, you know, he got into trouble. And of course, there's little Miss Taylor over there sitting there proud of herself because she had caught her brother red-headed, ratted him out. So when I came back into the living room, guess who else got in trouble for tattling? Taylor. Taylor got in trouble. Both learned very valuable lessons. Number one, if you do eat candy, shove the wrappers down in the bottom. But number two, don't be a rat. The Re reason I'm, I'm telling you this story is because I believe, I believe this, that Taylor's, Taylor's attitude, Taylor's spirit in that moment, it really demonstrates what the, what the religious and the self-righteous attitude can be as you and I conclude chapter number one and we see the depravity of man and all of that snowballing and the wickedness that they are involved in. And, and oftentimes we would sit back and in our own mind's eye go, yes, they are wicked and yes, they will be judged by God. And maybe to the point that, yet, yeah, you know what, this has nothing to do with me. But when you get into chapter number two, you begin to be confronted with the reality that this does have everything to do with you and me. Because we all stand, I said, we all stand in danger of the judgment and the wrath of Almighty God. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. Let me, let me explain to you and show you what I mean by this. Go back with me to the end of Romans chapter number 1. And let's notice some things here, because Paul, he kind of concludes all of this snowballing, this, this suppressing of the truth, and then beginning to worship false gods, exalting man as his own God, and getting into immorality and evil, and even uh, getting to the place of a reprobate mind that can no longer be reasoned with. Boy, we're sure in that day, aren't we? But then notice what happens in verse 29 at the end of chapter number 1. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, 
despiteful, uh, proud boasters, uh, uh, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, uh, with, who knowing the, the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Wow. And you'd be sitting here going, wait, wait, wait. I, I mean, listen, that's a long list, preacher. And I, I mean, that's, that's not me. But look at, verse, look at verse number one of chapter number two, because here's what it says. It says, therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. <clears throat> now again, we've got to be reminded. Now, and I, I say again because this is something that we've brought out oftentimes when studying through the Scriptures. But you've got to be reminded here that though there is a break in chapters, meaning we've gone from chapter 1 and now we're into chapter number 2. Watch this. The context has not changed. The word, in fact, the word therefore that begins verse number one, it's pointing back to the list that concludes the previous chapter. So that tells us it's still the same context. And the point is this, is that as a result of man's depravity and corruption, he says, therefore, thou art inexcusable. Well, what does that mean? That means this, that you have no excuse. You're guilty before God. Said you're guilty before God. But, but notice this. Now stay with me because watch this. Because if you go back to chapter number 1 and you look at the end of verse number 20 where he's talking about the uh, Gentiles and, and the creation, he shows us that their inexcusability it's already been pointed out. Look at what it says. It says at the end of verse number 20, so that they are without excuse. Come on, stay with me here for a minute. Don't let me lose you. Listen, you understand. So, but beginning in verse number 1, now watch this. He says, therefore thou art inexcusable. Now watch, he says, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. So the point is this, is that Paul begins to identify another group of people who are also guilty before God, inexcusable before God. And who he's talking about here, uh, when he says, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, it's obviously going to be the religious Jew as the text begins to bear out. Look at verse number 17. Of chapter 2. Behold, thou art called a... What's that word right there? Jew. And restest in the law. And makest thy boast. See that arrogant spirit? That thy boast of, of God. And you can keep reading there. He's going to confront them on a multitude of things. But the point is to say this. Now watch this. It's very typical for the religious moral crowd to develop a critical spirit towards the depraved and to exalt themselves in their own self-righteousness. 
But here we find that what Paul is saying is that they too are guilty before God. They may condemn the depraved for doing those things in that long list at the end of chapter 1, but the reality is they too are guilty of them as well. I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but certainly what came to my mind is this is that I believe what Paul is trying to get across here is exactly the same principle the Lord Jesus was trying to get across when He, when he gave the parable of the moat and the beam. In fact, turn, hold your place there with me if you would and go with me to Matthew in chapter number 7. Go back to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. Let's look at something here. Let's do a little study, shall we? A little Bible study. <clears throat> kind of lay the groundwork here. Because watch, watch what happens here in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, which you've probably seen on social media quite often. The problem is they never include 2, 3, 4, and 5. Well, we'll deal with that in a minute. Judge not that ye be not judged. Don't judge me. For with what judgment ye judge ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt, then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now, there's something you've got to, you and I have got to come to an understanding to this morning. Now, stay with Listen, the words judge and judgment in the Bible can mean two very different things depending on the Greek word that's used and, more importantly, the context. In one way, I would say to you this, it can mean to discern or determine between right and wrong. To judge, to, to discern, to determine something as being right and wrong. And I want to say to you now, please catch this, when it comes to this kind of judgment, God's people are to exercise that. I said God's people are to exercise that. In other words, now watch this, that we are to determine what is right and wrong according to the Bible, and do what is right. So what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24, He said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. In other words, things aren't always what they seem on the surface, are they at times? And so what the Lord Jesus says is this, don't look at the surface, judge righteous judgment. In other words, look through the lens of the Bible on things, determine what is right and what is wrong, and do what is right. Yeah. But we also know this, that the other meaning can mean, you know, judge or judgment, it can mean to criticize. And I believe this, I believe that's exactly what's found in Matthew 7, 1, as well as Romans 2, 1. And you and I, you and I both know that we are witnessing a culture that is depraved in sin, just like Romans 1. And their constant cry is this, don't judge me. 
But you and I need to understand something this morning. This is not to say that we shouldn't look at evil through the Scriptures and determine what is right and wrong. No, my friend, I said we should. We should do that. Um, homosexuality is wrong. I mean, read Romans chapter 1. We just dealt with it last week. Transgenderism is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Fornication is wrong. Uh, child molestation is wrong. Painting your fingernails black and, and, and covering yourself in tattoos and piercings, it's wrong. I said it's wrong. It's against the Word of God. It's against the Scriptures. Do I need to camp out here a little bit longer? I said it's against the Word of God and it's against the Scriptures. Well, I'm just telling you, those things are wrong. They're wrong. And it should be that we would look at the Bible and see what the Bible says about these things. And if it says it's wrong, then we would agree with the Word of God and not the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait a minute, preacher. I was watching this news program and they talked about how it was okay. It doesn't matter. I don't really care. If you get your doctrine from the view, you're in big trouble. Get it from the Word of God. It's, it's like, I'm just telling you, it's like one person said, our culture today loves Matthew 7, 1. What they fail to do is read the rest of it. Because if there's no determination of right and wrong, then anything goes. And that's exactly what our culture wants. But this is what I find that's ironic. They want everything to go that's immoral and wicked and evil. But when you talk to them about God and Bible and holiness, nope. Don't judge me. Well, wait a minute. You're judging me for judging you. <laughs> oh, mercy. Help me this morning, Lord. Help me. Y'all need some more coffee? Y'all all right? But Christ, now watch this. But Christ, as was Paul, okay, was also dealing with the attitude of criticism from the self-righteous religious crowd. And the point is to say this, now watch this, we who are saved shouldn't have a spirit of criticism. As if to exalt ourselves above someone else. Well, well why? Well, because we too are sinners. Be, be a fact, I mean, listen, you... If that's your attitude, then according to what the Lord Jesus is dealing with here, watch this, they may have a moat or a speck of wood in their eye, but you've got a beam, a giant two-by-four sticking out of your eye. Pardon me, I'd like to sit down right here. Is it okay if I sit next to you? That's what he's saying. And what I'm just telling you, now watch this. Well, well, I'm, I'm just th and think about this. Whether li listen here, here's the thing: both are wrong because both have both have wood in their eye. But watch this. But the one with the critical spirit is in the greater wrong. He's got the larger piece of wood. Well, why? Because if you're saved, your job isn't to exalt yourself. Your job is to get the wood out of your eye and then go help them get the wood out of their eye too. Well, why? Because they're sinners just like you're a sinner. And they need to be saved just like you need to be saved. Oh, come on now. Sure. 
Jew or Gentile. Faith Baptist Church member or citizen of Olathe. Everybody needs to be saved. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1 for a minute. Because here's, here's what I want us to see in our text this morning. See, where the Lord Jesus uses a parable to confront the critical spirit of the religious, the Apostle Paul uses the judgment of God to do that right here. And I, I would say, I would say for two reasons, okay? For two reasons. One of those would be this. Listen, please catch this. You can be religious and still be lost. Remember door knocking one time and a guy opened the door and I said, Hey, I'm from you know, Bible Baptist Church and just want to talk to you about the gospel and invite you to come to church. And you go to church and he said, Yeah, I'm a Lutheran and slammed the door in my face. And I looked at my door knocking partner and I said, Is that what he's going to do when he stands before God? I'm a Lutheran. Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you're a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Baptist or a, or a Pentecost or whatever. If you're not saved, you stand in the judgment of God. And you need to understand something this morning. No baptism is going to save you. No church confirmation is going to save you. No, I, well, I partook of the Lord's Supper. That doesn't save you. It's only faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what saves you. That's what saves you. If God's dealt with you and showed you you're a sinner and you humbled yourself and called upon Jesus Christ by faith, that's the only way man can be saved. So you can be religious and still be lost. Moral and still be lost. But the second reason is this, and as mentioned earlier, it's the judgment of God that confronts the religious lost, and it puts us all on common ground. It's a reality check for anyone that's exalted themselves and who they are before God. It's a reality check. Let me, let me give you these things here. I want you to just, let's chew on this for a little bit. Look at verse number one and two together says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth to them which commit such things. What, what I would say to you, I, I believe this, what really confronts the critical the critical spirit crowd is this, is that you, you, need to know, you need to know the standard of God's judgment. And what I mean by that is when I say standard, I'm talking about the ruler, if you will, by which God measures mankind. And then this is what I found. Watch this. It is man, it, it is man who develops a self-righteous attitude when other men become his standard for judgment. Look at what he says in verse 1. He says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever there art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. You understand? what? Listen, this was the issue among the religious Jews, even the saved Jews and the saints in Rome, because they had lived a moral life according to the law, and they were not involved in the pagan worship and lifestyles of the Gentiles. They looked down at them. That this became their standard 
for the judgment of God. Oh, God's going to judge them. And so they exalted themselves in their own self-righteousness. But I like what Paul points out. Uh, uh, excuse me. If you've got a critical spirit towards the lost and the wicked out there, please catch this. It's a hypocritical one. Well, why? Because you do the same things. I said you do the same things. I hate it when people don't use their blinker. Driving instructor over there. Yeah. I hate it. I mean with a passion. Drives me nuts. It is a courtesy to other drivers. Especially if they need to know if you're turning so that they can go. And my ADHD needs to go. And we've got a couple of those sections, you know, when we leave our house, go out of our neighborhood. And I remember one time, mm, son, there's actually been a lot of times, but I remember this particular one. So I was having a bad day. And I got to the stop sign, and here come this dude, goober. And he turned and didn't use his blinker. Mm, I was so mad. If I didn't like my coffee so much, I would have rolled the window down dumped it on him. I was so mad. I think my kids might have been in the car and I said, that goober didn't use this blinker. And I turned the stop, turned left and went 50 yards to the next stop sign and then I turned right and I didn't turn on my blinker. And the Holy Spirit went, hypocrite. Thankfully none of my kids would have said, you know, if they'd have said that, I'd be like, get out, you're walking. Condemn them for doing it, and you did the same thing. Catching this? That's what he's talking about. Your standards, your standards, hypocritical. If you listen, if you you sit there and look at other people and what they do, and exalt yourself in your own self rights because you don't do it, you're lying to yourself because you do the same thing. You're a sinner just like just like they are. In fact, let, let's, let's look, no, come on now. Look at the end of chapter number one again. And let, let's just read some things here. Look at what he says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness. What, what about this word right here? Covetousness. Have you ever, oh, come on. Have you ever wanted something somebody else had? Amen. I wanted a Jeep. God gave it to me. You ever wanted though their house? Oh, I like that house. Their car, their job, their money, their spouse. Whoa, now we're meddling. Wish my husband was like that. Well, you might your husband might be saying, I wish my wife was like somebody else. Be careful. Hello? No, no, what no, let's keep reading. He says, malicious and full of envy. Ever gotten jealous about something? <laughs> you guys are going, nope. <laughs> oh, here, here's one. Look, look at verse number 30. Or, or, well, no, let's keep reading. Full of envy. Murder, debate. Here's one, deceit. Have you ever lied? No, preacher, I've never lied. You're lying. 
And look at verse number 30. Backbiters. Ever said something about someone behind their back? Oh, no, I, I never do that. I never do. Um, haters of God despite proud. I'm, we are so humble, preacher. We're so humble. We're proud of it. Disobedient to parents. Well, couldn't we go on and on here? But the truth is, we can look down our noses at others with a critical spirit, but the reality is we're really just a bunch of hypocrites. Because we're guilty of the same things. Is everybody catching this? Because we're a bunch of sinners. Listen, listen to this. You will always have a skewed version of yourself when others become your standard. I mean, boy, I mean, preacher, have you seen the person on the end of the pew here? <laughs> Some of you in the pew is looking at each other. What is he? I think he's talking about you. <laughs> you let, let, me, let me help you with something. Because look at what Paul does, okay? Watch, watch what he does. Look at verse number two. Because he says, but we are sure... That the judgment of God, okay, now God's judgment, no longer man's standard, man's judgment. Catch this. God's judgment is according to, what's that word right there? Truth. Truth. You see, Paul reminds them of God's real standard of judgment. It's, it's the real ruler that God uses in judging mankind. It's not others, it's truth. Huh. Well, preacher, I mean, listen, that, that's a complicated ordeal because, you know, you know, truth is subjective. And, and, and there's your truth, and then there's my truth, and, and it's how you see it. No. There is an absolute truth. Amen. In fact, Jesus cleared it up in John 17 when He said, Sanctify them through Thy truth, Thy word. Is truth. You know what he's saying? There's an absolute standard by which God is going to judge mankind, and it's according to his word. And did you know this? Catch this. Men, all men, have violated that standard. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can go to the Old Testament. The standard for God's holiness, the schoolmaster that's to bring us to Christ, Paul said. The Old Testament. And, sh- and I can show you, just out of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You violated the standard. That's right. What about idolatry? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Anything you put before God is an idol. Right. Oh, you may say, well, preacher, I mean, I don't have any stone carvings in my house that I bow down to and worship. No, but we got technology that we sure bow down and worship. That's right. Some of you, it kills you 10, 15 minutes to go without looking at your phone. That's right. Might want to put that thing down. It's an idol. Or the computer. Or the TV. Or some entertainment. Is everybody catching this? Or, or some sports team. Uh-huh. Or a hobby. Or money. Or career. I've even seen people make an idol out of their children or men. 
But we, we could, we could, we, we, I mean, listen, you, you could go all the way down through. Let, let me, let me, let me give you may, maybe just a couple of others here. What about this? Uh, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And I'm just telling you right now, the name of God has become more of a cuss word among God's, you know, among people today than anything else. Even words like gosh or golly or OMG, it's the same stuff. Taking his name in vain. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor lying. Well, the point is this, we're guilty. But couldn't we also say that, that, watch this, when the Lord Jesus came on the scene, watch this, He brought the standard up even higher. Because no longer was it about the outward things that man do. See, Jesus began to deal with the heart. And in, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever, whosoever shall uh, kill shall be in danger of, of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Do you know this? You've been sitting here this morning, you know, preacher, I've been angry, but I've never acted out, so I'm okay. Listen, you've been angry in your heart. You're already guilty of murder. Um, um, here's what else he would say. Ye have heard that it had been said of them of old time, Old Testament, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. Come on, you can go back to that list in chapter number one. And I don't have time to, but I skip things like fornication and wickedness and murder and all of those things because I wanted you to see. You would look at that and go, there's no way I've not done those things. But according to the standard of Jesus Christ, we are guilty. We're guilty. Because it's in here. In fact, every person in here has violated that standard. Oh, come on. Every person in here. But there's one that didn't violate it. <laughs> His name is Jesus Christ. In fact, here's what the Bible says. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. <laughs> See what Paul, I'm just telling you, listen, I'm just, Jew or Gentile, Hatfield or McCoy, Doesn't matter who you are this morning. We're all sinners before God. That's right. And there's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. And God's given His standard of judgment. It's His Word. And if you don't deal with your sin according to His Word, you stand in danger of this. Right. Be, be fact, notice something else that He brings up as He's confronting the religious crowd here. Watch what He does. Because not only does He give them the standard, the standard of judgment, he, he begins to assure them the surety of God's judgment. Look, I'm just telling look at, look at what happens. In verse number 2, he says, But we are, what's that word right there? Sure? But we are sure 
that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So right there, he's telling them that we are sure. In other words, this is how we are going to be judged. It's going to be according to truth. But look at verse number 3. He says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, or doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? You know what he's saying there? He's saying this, you can be sure it's going to take place. And no one's going to escape. I mean, as it is appointed unto men, once to die, and after this, the judgment. I want you to look at verses 3 and 4 again. He says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God, or despisest thou the riches of His goodness or forbearance, uh, and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Paul asked two questions right here. And I believe they are rhetorical, meaning this. You already know the answer to them. In, in verse number 3, the question has already been answered. You're, you're going, listen, everyone is a sinner. Therefore, no one's going to escape the judgment of God. But in verse number 4, it gets a little more complicated, and so I want to explain it just for a second. He, he says, Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The word despisest there is the idea of looking down on. And what Paul is talking about is the grace and the forgiveness and the patience of God that He has extended toward the Gentiles who have now been saved. Come on, like those in, those in chapter number 1. And despite their moral depravity, God loves them and wants them to be saved. And some had been. But the religious Jews looked down on this. And, and so note the second half of this verse. He says, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. See what he's saying right here. Watch this. Where the Jews in times past were the example of, to others of having a right walk with God. See, now Paul is saying that these saved Gentiles are really the example to you. See, just as they are sinners, you are sinners. And just as the goodness and grace of God had led them to repentance and faith in Christ, it should have led you there. But you've been looking down your nose at them as if, you've been, as if you are better than them. You know why Paul brought that up? It's because, I'm just telling you, this is the way, <laughs> this is the way man thinks. When, when man becomes the standard, we exalt ourselves. And when we exalt ourselves, we then excuse ourselves from both the judgment of God and our own need to really be saved. And by the way, let me also point out this, that it's not just the religious crowd that does this. It's the non-religious crowd. Because I've heard people say this, I ain't going down there to that church. 
bunch of hypocrites. Well, we go to Walmart too. I said we go to Walmart too. Are you not going to go to Walmart? We go to the gas station too. You can avoid the quick trip. We go to the bank too. Are you going to not go there? No, no, no. What I'm saying to you is this, is that really when men say that, I'm, I'm just telling you, number one, they too are really hypocritical. But number, or number one, they're really hypocritical. But number two, it's really their own justification to not go to the house of God and see that they are sinners and need to be saved as well. Well, they're just a bunch of hypocrites down there at church. Yeah, you know why we're hypocrites? Here's why, because we're a bunch of sinners. Just like you're a sinner that needs to be saved. But see, that's what man does, is that now we're the standard, and well, they're a bunch of hypocrites, and I don't need that one. No, 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 you messed up, because we're not the standard. The Word of God is the standard, and we're just a bunch of sinners that need to be saved, just like you're a sinner that needs to be saved. But this is what man does. Well, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a good, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, morally, I'm morally doing good, and I'm okay, and I don't need... Well, that's because you got the wrong standard. I, I never forget we had a guy in our church in, in Cassville, Brother Bus McKay, just what a godly man. He got saved. He was a civil engineer in Little Rock, Arkansas, and got saved. It was, he just had a great testimony. He said, Preacher, I was smoking. I remember when I got saved and God dealt, I just put my cigarettes down in the trash and I, I quit smoking. I started living for God. Just got gloriously saved and changed his life and his precious wife, Katie. She got saved and they, you know, started going to church and been serving the Lord their whole lives. When I became the pastor, Miss Katie had went on to heaven and, and had already been home with the Lord. And, and so he was there living in a retired community in Holiday Island, Arkansas. It was a golfing community. Brother McKay loved golf. And I'd go down there and play golf with him every now and then and he'd beat the pants off of me, man. I'm telling you, just whipped the fire to me. And I was like, I, I'm not going to play golf with you anymore. You'd beat me too bad, and I'll never forget one time he was telling me about a friend of his that he played golf with. He said, so preacher, I've been witnessing to him and talking to him about the gospel and been trying to invite him to church and come to church. And, and he said, finally in our round of golf, he said, he, he looked at me and he said, Bus, he said, Bus McKay, that was his name. He said, Bus, I have, stop, I've had enough of this. He said, don't you understand? I'm a good guy. I'm a good husband to my wife. I worked hard all my life. I went to church when I was a kid and, and even every now and then as an adult. I'm a good guy. And so when I stand before God, I believe He's going to look at me and He's going to say, all right, and let me in. And I listen, I realize that I'm sitting amongst a bunch of people that consistently hear the gospel being preached day in and day out. And we know that's not how it's going to work. And by the way, we'll still consistently preach that gospel. But you've got to understand something. Please catch this. There are no scales in heaven that's going to weigh your good with your bad. And, and, and you can be a good guy and a, and a good lady and, and moral and all of these things. But you've got to understand that the standard is not man. The standard is God. And you violated the standard. That's right. And your morality or your religion, it's not enough. 
There has to be faith in Jesus Christ alone to save a person. And that's the only way to escape it. And, and this is what, now watch this, because he keeps going on, and he, and he gives the, notice this last thing, and I'm, I'm through this morning, but I want, you to, I want you to watch this, because he gives the, what I would say is this, the suitableness or the fairness of God's judgment. Look at what he says in verse number five. He says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath in Revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. But, uh, but notice verse 7, To them who by patient continuance and well-doing uh, seek uh, for glory and honor and immortality eternal life. But unto them which are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, the, the, the result will be tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and, uh, and of the Gentile. Glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons. Listen, if, if you sit here this morning and you harden your heart against the Word of God and reject the truth and, and cling to your religion and your morality, watch this, you'll give an account for it one day. You'll give an account and you'll find that you too are in violation for this and you'll, faith, and you'll face the wrath and the judgment of Almighty God. And you can sit here and go, well, you know, that God's going to send me to hell. No, you are. You are. You're sending yourself there because you're rejecting, you're rejecting the truth of God's Word and your need to be saved. But if you humble yourself and you come to Jesus Christ by faith and receive Him, you're forgiven of your sin, you receive the promise of eternal life, and you escape the judgment of God. And here's why. Because Christ took God's judgment on the cross of Calvary for your sin. And according to verses 9 and 10 and even 11, listen to this, that this is both to the Jew and the Gentile. The pagan and the Pharisee, the religious or the atheist, the moral or the depraved, God doesn't have a special set of rules for one group and another set for another. It's just one group or one, one set of rules for everybody. I, I don't know about you, but this... I feel like I fall into chapter one. <laughs> I swear, I, I feel like that. I, because I, you know, I didn't grow up going to church. And I, you know, didn't get saved till I was 20 years old. By the time I got saved, I did. I was following that pattern. I had suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. And I was snowballing into wickedness and immorality. And I got saved. And i got to be honest with you, when I look at this right here, it is incredibly comforting to know that if I dealt with my sin the way God said to deal with your sin, according to the, the, the truth of the Word of God and putting your faith and trust in you, it's all done away with. <laughs> I've got eternal life and heaven is my home. Is everybody getting that? Pretty comforting thought, isn't it? But you've got to catch this. Listen to this. But if you were raised in church, And you never drank alcohol. And you never smoked a cigarette. And you never chewed tobacco. 
and you never cuss or never done this or never done that, whatever the case may be, please catch this. You need to understand something this morning. You're still a sinner just like I was. And you still, listen, you will stand before the judgment and wrath of God just like I was headed to. And you, listen, you still need to be saved the same way I was saved. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way anybody can be saved. I, I'm just telling you, listen, I, I've run into parents that have one set of rules for one kid and one set of rules for the other kid. And I'm not talking about, you know, not allowing certain things for one child versus the other because, listen, your children are different and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about favoring one and despising the other. And boy, I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for some serious consequences if that's your, if that's your home life. Because you're going to ruin one by spoiling them and you're going to ruin the other by mistreating them. But our Heavenly Father is not like that. I said our Heavenly Father is not like that. He's got one set of rules. He's got one standard. And His name is Jesus Christ. And if you've not been saved this morning, you've got to be saved. Because your religion and your morality is not going to save you. But if you have been saved, please catch this. You better be careful about looking down your nose at the neighbor next door or the co-worker at work or the lady running the cashier at Walmart or somebody that walks through that door right there. Because I got news for you. When it comes to the judgment of God, we're all on the same ground. That's right. And just like you got saved, they too can be saved. So why don't you get that big board out of your eye this morning so you can go help somebody like that get the dust out of their eyes. What about it? Let's all stand this morning.